You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Our Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. And this is the Mekong Giant Catfish episode. So, so excited about this one. Yes, Chris, we are talking today about the largest freshwater fish in the world. Most people are familiar with the catfish family, so we're going to be talking a lot about catfish in general, but Chris and I really wanted to focus on the Mekong giant catfish, not only because it's the largest freshwater fish, but it's also critically endangered. And the Mekong giant catfish has had a dramatic decrease in their population. Uh, Researchers estimate over 90% of a population lost in the past 30 years. So in my lifetime, Chris's lifetime. So it's, it's a... It's a really fascinating story that we want to tell, and I was really inspired. A few weeks ago, I got a chance to sit down with uh, Dr. Zeb Hogan, who is a research biologist and host of the National Geographic TV series Monster Fish, and he recently wrote a book, and so we were talking about the book and the TV series and these fish and mega fish in general, and Chris and I are not ichthyologists. We are not fish biologists. We focus normally on mammals, and that's where our expertise came in, more with things with hooves and horns. <laughs> and throughout the many years of doing this podcast, we've learned a ton about bird biology and reptiles, and fish is, is really always eye-open. But to sit down with Zeb and hear his stories and just learn about what a conservation hero he is and what people are trying to do across the world to save these mega fish was just really, really, really inspiring for me. So I was pumped to prep this podcast this week. And I know Chris was because he sent me a message last night that he had like 50 slides, 50 slides or something. So I mean, it is, it is a mega fish, right? A giant Mm -hmm, catfish mm -hmm. needs like a giant uh, amount of slides to just discuss how cool they are. Right. They are. I, I had to stop. I had to stop myself. I'm like, okay, that is enough. I, I, I probably will not get to all the information I want to give in this podcast because a lot of reasons. First, I think the theme over the next few weeks of the All Creatures podcast is we're going to be looking at giants. And Angie had an incredible interview. I'm jealous I didn't get to sit in on it. But, but talking about these massive freshwater fish, I've got others in a list here in a second I'm going to talk about. Now, just as a reminder, the whale shark is the largest fish in the world. Oceanic, 40 feet, nearly 20 tons. Angie, you probably wouldn't even remember last when we covered them. Episode. Ooh, let me just take a wild uh, guess. 77. Kind of, well, uh, lower. It's episode 23. <laughs> oh, wow. That price the right rules. I was way, way off. But yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So over 300 episodes ago is when we covered them. 
And uh, this, the largest freshwater fish, is just such an interesting story. So that's why so many slides, because catfish are so amazing and, and a fish that I love near and dear to my heart as a kid growing up fishing for them. Uh, releasing now, I, I, I wouldn't eat them now uh, unless I really need to for my dinner. But anyways, wonderful fish. On top of Angie's interview, I just finished a, an amazing interview and I wish Angie could have s- sat in on it because lately we're really getting hammered with people wanting to come on the podcast and and we really are getting some amazing pitches. And I was very fortunate to interview the producers of Apple TV Plus's Big Beasts. So not only do we have Megafish with Zeb Hogan, Dr. Zeb Hogan, now we have Apple TV Plus's Big Beast that's narrated by Tom Hiddleston. So Loki, one of my favorite actors of, of late, and almost got him on the podcast, but he was pretty busy. But, but even more, I think this was more exciting for me, is I got to interview the producers, Tom Hugh Jones and Bill Markham. And that's because producers are, people don't understand what they do. These are the originator of these ideas. Uh, they are the ones that secure the funding to go out and shoot these documentaries or even the t- any TV show or movie or whatever. So the producers are the ones that, that come up with the ideas, pitch it, get the funding, then they go and get the directors, the cast, the people that do the voiceovers in these, and they help make and produce the series. So I had a million questions for them because Big Beast is- Fanboy alert, fanboy. Oh, I, was, I had such a great talk <laughs> with them. Yeah. And- Oh, it was. It was. And Big Beast, I got to to preview it, Apple TV Plus, and it was it was. That's amazing when series. I feel like I hit the big time. When they start sending us like previews, where I'm like, John, you can't watch this. It's just for me right now. Just kidding. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. And if you have so, my name's yeah. bouncing around the screen, so you're not pirating it. It's yeah. like, oh my god, such a nerd. But it's so yeah. fun. It, it that's. I mean, uh, I, we. Obviously, this is a passion project that has grown and grown. And it's so funny when I sit down in these interviews sometimes, I make it, it becomes very clear and obvious as they like open up their Zoom link. Uh, I'm like, yeah, so I'm not really like a professional journalist or an interviewer and my dog's barking in the background and I'm screwing up all the time. And so, uh, but maybe that's why they love us, right? Yeah, you even had Maddox. Oh, yeah, there's always, yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's always wild when I'm doing these interviews, but it is fun. And it's, and as you mentioned, uh, talking to some of these producers and big wigs, I mean, my goodness, it's it's really uh, it's really exciting. So hopefully, please check out these interviews that uh, are going to be released in the next week. And then there's also some really fun interviews from a few weeks ago that released. So, a couple of weeks ago, episode three thirty, Path of the Panther with Carlton Ward. Yes, so. Carlton. Oh my gosh, I I was talk about fangirling. I mean, this j- just I had no idea what a conservation rock star he was until he told a story and it was just very genuine and organic about his growth as not only a photographer but also a national geographic explorer and a conservation hero like say helping to save the florida panther and and helping create critical habitats for them to be able to move up and down the coast of florida we're still working on that but when when people say, oh, one individual can't make a difference. Nope, that's wrong. An individual can make a huge difference. And Carlton was, it was a great example of that. So one of my favorite interviews I've done uh, recently, uh, very, very inspiring. So check oh, yeah, that out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I was just, I was uh, working with uh, 
high school students last Friday that came to visit the, the uni here and talking about conservation and how people make a difference. And I always use Dr. Rebecca Cliff, who founded the Sloth Conservation Foundation in Costa Rica. I mean, people are making it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the week before that, we we had little fanboying fangirl moments with uh, Bob Poole. Secrets of that the Elephants. That was a big one for me, yeah. too. I was, I was some, yeah. of my, some of my uh, buddies uh, from college are into filming and directing and then cinematography and then scoring music. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I was like, look who I'm interviewing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it was fun. It's, it's been a, it's been a fun few weeks. Busy, very busy mm-hmm. for Angie and I. So that was episode 329, Secrets of the Elephants. That's out on Disney Plus and Nat Geo. So again, all of these Path of the Panther movie, Secrets of the Elephants, and then just to bring back to the big beast, uh, Tom and Bill were just amazing, uh, fun to talk to, so knowledgeable. Tom had worked on, he was a producer for Planet Earth 1 and Planet Earth 2. Like, I just was like, you produced these? Like, that's when everything changed for me, and I talk about it with him. I do ask him about the Saiga because we talk about it a lot in this podcast and about how important that is, that, that what we learned from it. But they also, uh, both uh, of them worked on Night on Earth, which I know is on Netflix for me. Animal, which is on Netflix for me. Tiny World, Human Planet. So these were just amazing people to talk to and give some insight into filmmaking, how they make these films, how they work with conservation experts on the ground. So check those interviews out next week. Angie, the reason, one of the reasons I think I was really excited about Catfish, and I want to make a big deal out of this. I actually have it highlighted. Make a big deal out of this, Chris. Do you realize there are over 3,000 species of catfish? I was like, whoa, I had no idea. It's so funny, Chris. I had no idea. If you would have asked me prior to doing this uh, podcast, I would have been like, oh, there's like 30 or 40. That that would have been my answer. 3,000 species of catfish. So when we said, let's pick a catfish, did not realize what we were getting into. Well, one this, out- could, it could be, this could be our new podcast, just catfish, right? <laughs> yes, yes. So one out of every 20 vertebrate species is a catfish. Well, Chris, I thought it was amazing, too, that catfish are super diverse in where they live. They pretty much can live in inland or coastal waters in every continent except Antarctica. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, it's just incredible. Yeah, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. They're, yeah. Oh, yeah, this is fun. So that's why 50 slides, because I had to, I, I just, I couldn't stop researching about them. So let's, let's just jump into it. Let's describe the Mekong giant catfish. And then, yes. Now, well, in the in the episode, we're going to have some general catfish. I have some details on some other species of catfish. Uh, but, you know, obviously, we're just going to focus on the, the Mekong from the conservation and, and all of this other stuff. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot, too, about what they're doing to save these mega fish, including the Mekong giant catfish. So definitely stick with us. But to give you a visual on, on the Mekong giant catfish, to begin with, they're huge. But I'll let Chris do the size. But as far as their general look goes, the Mekong River catfish is in the shark catfish family. And because of that, they have shark-like appearances, if you will. The head is huge. And the mouth on the Mekong giant catfish is very large and gaping open. 
And super fascinating, unlike a lot of other species of catfish, the Mekong giant catfish has no teeth, none. So it looks like a big, large, gummy, huge smile in its mouth, big, big mouth. The eyes of Mekong giant catfish are really fascinating. They're very low set. In fact, they're almost equal to or lower than the, this giant mouth line on the fish. Uh, they're a little bit ventral of the mouth, which just means towards their belly. And so because of this, they almost look like they're upside down or they look sad all the time uh, or cartoonish. But I still could look at their face all day because uh, overall, they're, they're a good looking fish. They're a good looking fish. Uh, yeah, so that's giant. stretching it. That's stretching it. There you go. Well, that mouth, okay. like oh, in the videos, like when they're holding them and yeah, stuff, know, and they, and they don't have teeth. So that's, that, that's a bonus, yeah. right, for this giant mega fish. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. But their color, they're going to be like a gray scale, grayish white in color overall. They don't have these stripes and their belly, their ventral area is going to be lighter, typically white, creamish in color, which that counter shading is, is typical actually in a lot of fish and especially in sharks. Mm -hmm. But Chris, what I found fascinating about catfish in general, including the Mekong, is that they're scale free. Mm -hmm. So they mm -hmm. don't have scales like a typical fish. So they, they're, they're covered with this smooth armor like plate that looks very sleek in appearance which is pretty cool mm -hmm. and of course when you talk about catfish they're well known for their whiskers which uh, i learned this week that this the technical name for catfish whiskers are barbells mm -hmm. and that's what i grew uh, the catfish around where i live that's what they always have interestingly enough the mekong giant catfish at least the adult do not have these barbells, but the juvenile Mekong giant catfish will have them and they shrink as they get older. So by the time they're adults, they don't have these whiskers, which makes them, sets them apart, I think, from a lot of other species of catfish as well. Oh, there's so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they are a beautiful fish. I mean, you look at them and, and it kind of reminds me of like whale shark eyes are off to the side. Right, like so way massive. to the side by that big yeah. mouth, kind of cartoon, yeah. like kind of cute, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. But massive, and I've got a list of, of some other massive fish. Nine feet, nearly 10 feet long is the largest ever caught. Weighed close to 650 pounds, which is almost 300 kilograms. So this is, that made it the largest freshwater fish ever recorded. Yes, Guinness so, World Book of Record. Holder. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and the thing is, there's rumors that they get up over 700 pounds, just hasn't been landed or caught. But they reached four, 400 pounds in only about six years. Like mm -hmm. this massive growth. That's one rabbit hole I couldn't go down because I was running out of time thinking there's no way I could explain this. But I would like to look at like how they grow so quickly, you know, and, and what's causing that. Now, the other large fish that... Uh, might knock the Mekong giant catfish out as the largest. There's the giant freshwater stingray, mm -hmm. which is huge. They can get up to 600 kilograms or close to 1,300 pounds. Okay, but just not as long, right, as the, the Mekong giant catfish. So that may be the, you know, but if you're thinking fish, like the giant catfish. Now, the Chinese paddlefish probably was the largest freshwater fish but it went extinct. I really okay. didn't like this fact. So the Chinese paddlefish got up to 23 feet long. Mm -hmm. It can weigh up to 500 kilograms. 
and was functionally extinct in 1993. And yeah, they finally declared it extinct in 2022. That's too bad. So yeah, that was the king in the water, but that is now extinct. So I think the crown does go to the Mekong giant catfish as far as length with weight, even though the, the, you know, the, the freshwater stingray is pretty big. That might be something we cover soon. They get up to seven feet long. So they're, they're pretty, pretty massive. Now what's, what was also interesting, Angie, is the giant freshwater stingray is in the Mekong river basin. Mm -hmm. Then you have the Wells catfish, which is pretty widespread in Europe and parts of Asia. Uh, not quite as big as the Mekong giant catfish. They only get up to 300 kilograms. Then you get some some two other large, large fish, the giant Pangasius, dog-eating catfish, and the giant barb. Mm-hmm. Then you finally get to fish in the, in the Amazon that are pretty big. Then you get the Nile perch from Africa. And then finally near you in the United States is the alligator gar, which I've seen. We've seen that. In the Mississippi River, they get pretty big. And what about the sturgeon? Now, sturgeon are pretty massive, Angie. I They didn't make the, the world's top 10 freshwater fish because I believe sturgeon, are, they do go out in the ocean. They can get up to 16 feet long, in, or at least Atlantic sturgeon, and weigh up to 800 pounds. So pretty big fish. There's a lot of big fish out in the ocean. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. And so when I sat down and talked with Zeb Hogan, once again, it was like, I was like conservation crushing because his life story is just incredible being a fish biologist, but then working with National Geographic and creating a TV series and, and getting people in, interested in these monster fish, right? So I just want to give a quick promotion for Zeb Hogan's new book called Chasing Giants in Search of the World's Largest Freshwater Fish. It tells a lot of the behind behind the scenes stories and all in his personal journey of trying to save these mega fish from extinction. It's, it's just fascinating, but uh, he got me really excited about these mega fish and Christian mentioned a lot of them. And so talking with Zeb Hogan and asking him, what is a mega fish? Like, what does it take? What are the qualifications? And he described a mega fish as it has to be a freshwater fish longer than six feet and more than 200 pounds. And so I was like, ding, 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 Chris, you're a yeah. mega fish. <laughs> <laughs> longer than six feet. Yeah, okay. There you are longer, yes. longer than six feet. Oh, okay, yeah, you're so, right. Six feet five, yeah. And just past meters. 200, so it's Oh, just pounds. past, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Add a little more than that. Uh, but yeah, and he gave examples, of course, of catfish, uh, freshwater sturgeon, the gar, carp, trout, and I was thinking the stingray as well, uh, depending. Mm. I, don't know if they're, I don't know if they're that long, but. Yeah, so I just, this is a whole new area for me to learn about and get excited about, but then also hear the conservation plight because several mm -hmm. of these fish are endangered, critically endangered, or like, as you mentioned with the paddlefish, like yeah. recently extinct. Yeah, yeah. So quickly, and I'll get to some of this freshwater crisis that we're having around the world. The the Mekong giant catfish is in the Mekong River. So mm -hmm. the Mekong River is massive it's the third longest in asia over 3000 miles or 4 5000 kilometers starts in the tibetan plateau and then runs through china and vietnam and uh, ends up in the south china sea or the pacific ocean has the second highest diversity of fish in the world after the amazon 
Yes. It's, I mean, and not only is it one of the largest river systems in the world, but it's teeming with wildlife and fish. Mm -hmm. uh, over a thousand species of fish and only the Congo and Amazon have a greater diversity. And then not only that, but the Mekong River is the most productive in the world. This number literally, I had to Google it and do a calculator and really mm -hmm. try to figure it out. Different videos kept tossing this number around. About 2 million tons of fish per year are pulled from the Mekong River. 2 million tons. Mm -hmm. That's 4 billion pounds of fish. That's if crazy. I did my math right. That's crazy. That's a, that's a lot. But yep. it's a very big, big river. But thinking about the Mekong giant catfish and how it grows so big. And then there's other mega fish in this river system. One is the, the Julian's golden carp, also known mm -hmm. as the seven line barb. And also the Siamese giant carp get really, really big. And so I'm just like, why do they get so big in this area? Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and researchers don't know. They, they speculate, well, because it is a big river, there is a lot of room in there. Uh, but also during the rainy season, the river expands um, into a floodplain into a lot of area. And so they think that that brings in extra nutrients to help make, help these, you know, feed the different plants and then thus feed the fish and then up, up the food chain. So mm -hmm. they think there's like a lot of nutrients in there to help these thousand species of fish thrive. But then of course, to also encourage some of these really mega fish to just grow bigger and bigger. Yeah, no, they do. It's massive. I mean, it's, it it's it is incredible. So yeah, I mean it's 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 it, it it's playing a big role. But now there's only a, a few hundred left. It's 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 been decimated. Well, absolutely, Chris. And paper after paper, an article that I read, they uh, call the Mekong giant catfish a flagship species mm -hmm. because it's so important to highlight the need to protect not only the Mekong giant but also other threatened species in the area and to help limit limit the habitat loss and the habitat destruction that's going on in the area. And Zeb Hogan, uh, when we were talking, he basically discusses that like if the Mekong giant catfish goes extinct, so do many other species in the Mekong because it's kind of like a canary in the coal mine type situation. Mm -hmm. And so if a lot of these species of fish in the Mekong go extinct, so do the livelihood and the food for people in the region. And so I'm going to summarize it that basically if you save the Mekong giant catfish, you save one of the largest river systems in the world and you save the people that live there. Mm -hmm. It's that important as a flagship species. And luckily there's a lot of international collaboration to help save the species, which we'll talk a lot about throughout the podcast. But even historically people since the dawn of time that live in that area have loved the Mekong giant catfish. Mm -hmm. In fact, pictures of it line the walls of the Buddhist temples in Thailand. And many people in the Mekong area believe that it's a sacred fish. And we'll talk about it nutrition, but the Mekong giant catfish actually eats and lives off of plants and mm -hmm. algae. And so a lot of the Mekong people believe that the fish is peaceful and should be kept in high regard and also saved. So there are a lot of people fighting for it, but in the same instance, there are fishermen that bring, have their livelihood of catching fish. And so there has been bans in, uh, through most of the region 
to ban fishing for the Mekong giant catfish. So that's wonderful. But there's still a lot of conservation threats in that region when you look at damming and pollution and urbanization. Yeah, that's what I was going to talk about. Yeah, that was kind of where I was leading me into. And then you you did say be thankful. And then and that's something that I I do want to get across because in my interview with Tom and Bill, I asked him, how do you tell these tragic stories? And, 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 you know, why is there more about conservation in there? And, and they, and they had a great answer. You know, they, they don't want to turn viewers off with all doom and gloom. When you do that, you know, you're not going to get a message out, but they need to present facts and show people what's going on. So it, it's a very tight balance. And that's what I think Angie and I try to do in this podcast is, is tell these stories of these heroes like Zeb and out there fighting for these animals uh, while we we talk about the paddlefish being extinct and the giant catfish, Mekong giant catfish, you know, possibly going extinct. So, but you did mention things that, you know, our freshwater ecosystems, and we've covered this before. So before we get to a break, there's not a lot I, I, that you probably haven't heard before if you're paying attention to some of this. But I know a couple of years ago, we talked about our freshwater ecosystems just weren't on our radar least you know for the podcast but in the general consciousness it's more focused on the oceans and plastics where our freshwater systems are are going through a lot too you know and so the five big threats to rivers this was an article published by EcoWatch last year in October of 2022 uh, coming out of the World Economic Forum just the top five things that are imperiling a lot of these freshwater fish dams Angie just said, that is one of the largest, the most important uh, threat to river biodiversity is dams. Damming up rivers for electricity or creating water reserves for people. Uh, when we do that, it does come at an ecological cost. It does harm these, these fish populations. They become fragmented. Uh, quality of the water changes. The temperature of the water changes, changes the watersheds. So especially a lot of migratory fish, it really, really imperils them. So that is number one. Number two is pollution. That's what you were just talking about. So, uh, you know, water pollution is actually getting a little bit worse. And one of the things, I've mentioned this in a podcast, I don't know how many ago, threats from pharmaceuticals that are passing through our water treatment facilities. So one of the studies uh, our scientists at the University of Florida, uh, when I was there at one of our seminars, she was talking about contraceptive pill, which has done a lot for women around the world. The problem is a lot of that, uh, those estrogens or progesterones are passed in the urine, pass through the filtration process, and they end up in rivers and lakes and has an impact on fish and all the animals that live in there. So it's not just that it's, I remember her, that was her particular study, but there are some of these forever chemicals that end up there. And then also things like all of the pills that, that humans are taking. Um, a lot of that goes passed on into the river system. So, so that's something maybe we'll talk about in a future podcast, looking at that, uh, but like antidepressants, things like that Does, doesn't mean don't take them. I'm not arguing that. I'm just thinking, we need to find a way to, to be able to treat those uh, in our sewer systems before they end up in our rivers and stuff. Uh, right. And definitely, if you have leftover ones, make sure you're getting rid of them 
at your local pharmacy or you're not putting them down the into the watershed. Absolutely. Do not flush them down the toilet. Please, please do not do that. And the other one is, is farm and livestock operations. It's something we deal with here in New Zealand. A lot of my friends that I, I work with uh, dealing with farm runoff, uh, the laws are changing here in New Zealand uh, to prevent some of that. But in your background, Angie, you see it with the algae blooms. All of that discharge, that nutrients getting washed into the river systems with a lot of rain. You're getting, I guess they called it the guacamole coast now on some parts of Florida where it's just these big algae blooms because of all the nitrogen and things in there. So that has a negative impact on freshwater. Grazing, again, like I said, livestock grazing, a lot of that urine, feces, things can get washed into River systems, that's number three. Climate change was number four. Drought, they're already seeing rivers drying up around the world. Uh, loss of snowpack in the next 30 to 60 years is supposed to get a lot worse. So that means less fresh water uh, going in there. And the number five threat was just not enough protection. So we just need to find the political will to make laws, enforce these laws like here. So here in New Zealand, there are laws happening and farmers are adjusting how they operate. And I, I think some of these, these laws need to be carried around the world to protect these river systems and streams, ponds, lakes, all of them. Well, absolutely, Chris, because of course we're talking about the Mekong giant catfish today, uh, but lots of species of fish in general in that area are declining, which is really hindering the livelihood of uh, of the fishermen and the people in that area. So there needs to be uh, a lot of protections. So we've got to work together and figure out how to keep these waterways clean and safe. Yep, yep. All right, I want to take a quick break, but real quick, Angie, do you remember that story about that fish that likes to swim up the urine stream and get stuck in people's private parts? Remember that story? I think we talked about it in the Amazon a while back. I don't remember. Did you ever hear hearing something like that? Yeah, I mean, definitely there's like folklore, but I forget which species of fish it is. Okay, it's a parasitic catfish. When we get back from the oh, break. Oh, fun. Fun times. Okay. When we get back from the break, we'll uh, we'll, we'll tell that story after we'll the We'll come back uh, with quick some evolution. fun catfish yeah, facts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, all right. All right. We'll be right back. I'm Jane Perlez longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. 
Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. But that is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. All right, welcome back. I definitely like, I know I had a lot of slides, so to make sure this isn't a two-hour podcast, even though this fish probably deserves that. More than that. It's a, it's yeah. a giant, right? It's a mega it fish, is. mega pod. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So evolution, I mean, the class of, of the ray-finned fishes, Actinopterygii. Uh, 50% of all vertebrates from tuna, which was an amazing episode. To seahorses, another amazing. Now we have our catfish. Do you have the numbers of those? Episode 302 was anglerfish. 289 salmon. Okay. Uh, horses swim wild in the sea. Uh, seahorses, episode 256. Tuna, episode 238. And uh, That's a big one. Mm-hmm. And then we had a number of sharks. We did electric eel 142. So look for those. There, there was a, quite a bit of uh, in there, and we still have more to come. So, yeah, they're huge, huge class of animals. Now, the catfish is siluriforms, and there's only about 36 families of the 3,000 species. <laughs> so huge. One out of every 20 vertebrates on earth is a catfish insane so we're gonna be i love everything about this. that honestly i know I do. one out of 20 i i would never have guessed that no uh, <laughs> fun facts that's, yeah. that's why we do this podcast like we, our minds are always blown each week mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now the family really narrows it down to the shark catfish the pangasidae and that's because a lot of these catfish have that triangular dorsal fin other characteristics of a shark they're not sharks. They're just shark catfish. They look like sharks uh, to an extent. And it's about 30 species. And then Pangasian Odon is the Panga genus. Sea ad- yeah, see? See, it's not easy, is it? Pangasian Anodon Gigas. I got the Gigas. Okay, there you giggity, go. Giggity, okay. giggity, giggity, uh, Gigas. All, right. yeah. All right, so that's the, uh, that is the species name. And then you have the Pangasianodon hypothalamus. That's easy. Mm-hmm. Hypothalamus. Really? Hypothalamus? I thought that too, Chris. It's so funny. Uh, it's not it's exactly. hypothalamus. Hypo- hypo- it definitely ends in thalamus, though. That's weird. Yeah. Iridescent mm-hmm. shark. Wow. Okay, cool. All right. That's the other genus in there. So another, they live in the Mekong uh, River too. So another big catfish, not quite as big as their uh, co-species there in the genus. Now, fish evolution, fish have been around forever. 530 million years ago, this was the Cambrian explosion when just we saw species explode around the planet for 25 million years. Bony fishes evolved around 420 million years ago. I mean, again, I love this fact. Every time we have sharks, we had sharks in our oceans before there were trees. Trees didn't come till about 385 million years ago. I love that. Crazy. So the earliest catfish 
that we know of evolved about 70 million years ago. Honestly, not a lot. I, I, I really dug and dug for a while uh, looking at trying to find catfish evolution because I'm so curious about this, this animal or the, these animals. So what I did find reading some, God, I was reading genetic studies, things like that. Most catfish evolved from a single species ancestor. And we do know the Mekong giant catfish and relatives emerged about 1.5 million years ago. So they are definitely ancient. They're old species, not millions, you know, 20, 30, 40 million years, but they've, they've been around. They're probably one of the older living species on earth uh, compared to a lot of things that have evolved and changed over the last, you know, three, four, 500,000 years. So uh, older fish. And it was interesting. Again, I couldn't find a ton on it. But at some point, they thought catfish had scales, but that's when they, they gave way to the dermal plates covering their skin. So there are some armored catfish, um, things like that, which are interesting. Now, to get to this parasitic catfish, I went down this rabbit hole. This is why I have 50 slides. Pardon the pun. So it's the kandaroo, or also known as the canero, toothpick fish, or vampire fish. And it's a parasitic freshwater catfish in, in the Amazon basin. So Brazil, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Bolivia, all the places you've got to visit. And it was thought that it could enter the urethra. And specifically... Are males and females? And females, but mainly okay. males. And oh, good. So right. this, this started... Uh, rumors in the 1800s, explorers down there, scientists were said the indigenous people would protect the male appendage uh, when bathing to prevent fish from swimming up it. So uh, most people of the day said that's not true. There's no way a fish could swim up the urethra. But in 1997, a 23-year-old man claimed... And a doctor, uh, and this is a doctor was saying that did the surgery, Dr. Anwar Samad removed the fish, but a 23-year-old claimed a kangaroo jumped from the water into his urethra as he was urinating while thigh deep in a river. So according to the doctor, the patient claimed the fish had darted out of the water up the urine stream as into I the urethra. I mean, he must not have a very strong stream. I'm just going to say that because it, I don't, I'm not a physicist, but I just feel like, okay, I don't, I'm just, I'm trying to visual. I don't know. I, yeah. Fluid, Go ahead. fluid dynamics says this is absolutely false. It's near impossible. Thank you. That's the not. technical term. Okay. <laughs> uh, people said one of the, uh, the people debunking this. Uh, it, and there's other preposterous claims. You could you can look it up uh, in female anatomy, uh, rear ends, all sorts of things. This fish likes to burrow in. It's all been proven false or not true. One of the people that debunked it said, even if a person were to urinate while submerged in a stream where the kangaroo lived, the odds of that person being attacked by a kangaroo are about the same as being struck by lightning while simultaneously being eaten by a shark. So, so not possible. Not, yeah. not gonna happen. Not gonna happen. But I remember hearing that story. I think you and I talked about it. 
I was like, oh my God, I never want to go swim in the Amazon. I don't want a fish <laughs> swimming up my woohoo. Um, anyways. Uh, uh, no, you need to go. Well, maybe don't swim in the Amazon, but uh, uh, you have to, you have to uh, go well, see it. I've been lucky enough to uh, take a, a, a small, a small boat cruise. and see the, uh, the meeting of the waters on the Amazon. Mm-hmm. So two, yeah. two of the rivers merge and it's phenomenal. So I want to go on Susan It's worth the risk of yeah. this, uh, Kangaroo. This, this myth. Yeah. Anyways, it's a myth. <laughs> but Chris, I'll add to your fun catfish uh, facts with an interesting claim that some catfish are venomous and in rare cases have killed people. Did yes. you come across yeah. that at all? I so uh, I I couldn't find anything on the Mekong uh, giant catfish, but I did read that numerous catfish species, especially the eel tail that are near the Indian Ocean, Western Pacific, New Guinea, go figure, can be lethal to humans. And that, but I did not know that a lot of catfish in their fin rays, that they can deliver a, a stinging protein. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a little bit of a, a venomous punch there. Many species of catfish have what they call stings embedded behind their fins. And mm-hmm. so therefore, when you are handling them, you need to caution or wear gloves or something like that but the most of the time these stings are non-venomous at all uh, they're just pokey and they would no, hurt to get poked but for a few species these stings actually can have venom in them and for example i came across the striped eel catfish mm-hmm. as yeah. one of them that you wouldn't want to mess with at all but mm-hmm. in general most catfish are, are, are not going to hurt you obviously but they yeah they, they well, evolved i mean with three thousand of them they've evolved unique ways to protect themselves they are the vertebrate order with the largest number of venomous species not oh, snakes wow. it's catfish so there you go there's another fun trivia fact for all those animal nerds i am loving catfish so many i, I interesting told you. facts yeah I stopped at 50. I was like, done. No more. Because I I started going down these rabbit holes. I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. I didn't know this. I didn't know they could live to be 60. Right. Yeah. 60 years old. Well, there's small little ones uh, that can't go in your urethra as as you debunked here. (laughs) And then there's the largest species of freshwater fish with the Mekong giant. So Mm -hmm. very, very diverse group of fish. Yeah. No, they're amazing. Like, okay. So then you talked about the spines, the venom, Mm -hmm. the skin, not scales. So scales are like protection against parasites and things. So what the catfish do is the skin has mucus covered. So anybody that's caught catfish, you know they're slimy. Every time I've caught them, you know, and, and avoiding that spine mm-hmm. and, you know, grabbing them by the mouth uh, to hold them up and take the hook out. So Most have teeth. Some have teeth. Yeah, yeah. Some the ones I was teeth. catching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ones I was catching up in Oregon and Northern California and Southern California. But this, they, the mucus that covers their skin helps with locomotion. And it's a defense barrier against bacteria and fungi. So the fish skin mucus has many antipathogenic substances. So immunoglobulins, like immunology stuff, stuff to kill bad things, lectin and hemolysin and and things that, that keep bacteria and stuff off their skin. So it keeps them healthy. 
like that's a whole other rabbit hole you can go down like how do they secrete it where's it from what's the physiology like but again to save you all that detail in this podcast because i imagine what we might cover another catfish someday yeah i mean that's another fact chris we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the catfish whiskers Mm -hmm. right that's Mm -hmm. why they're named they're nicknamed catfish yeah the barbell uh yeah and so most catfish now, of course, the Mekong giant adult catfish doesn't have it, but most catfish have these whiskers, which are t- called barbills, which are slender and they almost look like whiskers that come out from a cat's cheeks. And what these whiskers or these barbells are, they're sensory organs that are near the mouth. And catfish have them, but some carp have them, goatfish, hagfish, sturgeon, zebrafish, black dragonfish. Even some species of shark have them, but they're really important because these barbells house the taste buds of fish and they help them search for food because a lot of the catfish are bottom dwellers uh, and they're a sensory organ that helps them taste and look for the food in these really dark murky or silty waters where they live. And from an anatomy point of view, with the barbells on catfish, they can either be fleshy protrusions, really long tube, they can be short, there can be a couple of them, but the barbell or the whisker in general is supplied with blood and lots of nerves to wrap around. And the barbells are supported by uh, cartilaginous connective tissue, but then there's a ton of blood vessels that go to that area and then also myelinated nerves that uh, basically wrap around to help provide this sensory organ all the useful information as far as i guess what the water tastes like mm-hmm. uh, but for mm-hmm. me i had not equated and didn't realize that the whiskers were equal to like taste buds I always thought that they were maybe more just like feelers, like mm-hmm, to feel mm-hmm, so they don't mm-hmm. bump into rocks or, or mm-hmm, something like that mm-hmm. to help them feel their way. But I think it's more accurate to say that the whiskers on a catfish or the barbells on a catfish are more to help them taste their way uh, through through the murky waters, which is super awesome. In fact, one study I found the bullheaded catfish has um, 25 taste buds or sensory nerves, if you will. Um, in a square millimeter of the barbell or the whisker on its skin. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. a lot of them are obviously they're you know many millimeters, centimeters yep. in length. And so very, very innervated, important sensory organ for the catfish. I when I read that and reading about it, it 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 made me think of snakes in the forked tongue, right? They taste the air, they taste the ground. And and I mean that's a little bit you know, that's the snake's tongue. Sure. So here you have whiskers doing that in the water. That's fascinating. Yeah. And that's just, I, that's why I love nature and animals mm. and how different species do things differently. Because I guess, silly me, I always just associated taste with the tongue. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. But that, no. I mean, could you imagine, no. could you imagine like, I mean, as I'm petting the birthday cake with my hand, <laughs> I'm like, ooh, this is really sugary, or I can taste strawberries. Yeah. You know, just like a totally different tissue or organ or part region of your body doing the tasting. It's just fascinating. It fascinating. is, it is, it is. 
And now that leads us into eating. You said these ones don't have teeth, but you did mention it before. Herbivores? Like herbivores? Yeah, they're like giant, humongous herbivores, which is just, I mean, the physiology of that is incredible because these two, three, four, five hundred, six hundred pound fish are basically just eating algae, Mm -hmm. which is incredible. Yeah. And so when the Mekong giant catfish is little, a tiny fish, uh, either called a larvae, uh, that then becomes a, a fry or a kitten. I thought that was hilarious. I mean, it makes sense. Catfish <laughs> yeah, yeah. babies. Yeah. Uh, they will eat zooplankton and they actually are very cannibalistic at a young age. But around a year, the Mekong giant catfish becomes an herbivore and basically just eats plants and algae. And researchers think that they probably just spend their whole day trying to get the algae that grows on rocks and on different different you know surfaces on the floor uh and the sides of rivers so they don't have teeth so they don't really need to they're obviously not like cutting large blades of grass or anything Mm -hmm. like that off so there's still a ton that researchers don't know just about their general ecology and behavior which to me is kind of a bummer because they're just such a cool unique giant catfish um they can speculate that uh, since they don't have teeth, that they're most likely just eating algae. There have been some notes uh, in one scientific article that they did find phytoplankton and zooplankton in their mm-hmm. stomach. Mm-hmm. So maybe getting a little protein uh, from zooplankton when they're an adult. But in general, it's mostly just the babies or the fry that feed on the zooplankton. I didn't go down this rabbit hole, and I've so wanted to, but I just figured it'd be, again, too long. How do they metabolize the algae and maybe a little bit of plankton and these plants and grow so quickly? Yeah. That is that is a fascinating study and, and something, you know, maybe we can look at a future episode of an animal that grows that fast, puts on that much weight. I know whales do. They put on an incredible amount of weight, uh, but they're drinking you know, the, the baby whales are drinking milk fat, very dense, caloric dense meals. I just don't see calories in plants. <laughs> A lot of uh, calories in algae. And, I know. And so in, in natural habitats, it was reported that the Mekong giant catfish can grow from 150 to 200 kilograms in three to five years, or that's basically about 20 to 30 kilograms per year. Under human care, Mekong giant catfish, the fry, started averaging about 13 centimeters long um, and 17 grams Okay, when they were babies mm-hmm. and grew an average of 40 centimeters to 620 grams in only four months. And so That's researchers crazy. calculated out that was a 400% increase in weight in four months. So, I mean, I, I do know that a lot of algae, I don't know if this species of algae in the Mekong River on the different rocks, but Algae is high in omega-3 fatty acids. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. All right. So behavior, mm-hmm. I've well-traveled. I read that. Yes. So yeah. the Mekong giant catfish is a migratory species of catfish. And historically, they had a huge migration. And while researchers don't exactly know the path and then the kind of the small subtleties, of the Mekong giant catfish's migration, what they do know or what they think is that the Mekong giant catfish will spend a lot of its time feeding in Cambodia, 
which is further south. And then it will migrate hundreds of miles north to its spawning grounds in northern Thailand. And what triggers them to travel upstream to spawn is the beginning of the rainy season. And only the adults will spawn. And so they're, mu they're much older fish that are, are doing this migration uh, and heading up north into Thailand. But unfortunately, a lot of this journey hasn't been mapped and there's still a lot of, a lot of missing parts in it. But overall, the Mekong giant catfish and their migration hasn't been like very well mapped at all. And there's still many missing holes and parts in it. And historically, researchers wonder if they even traveled further north, but because of all the damming and things that mm -hmm. have just gone, uh, that have happened upriver in northern Thailand, up in China, that that may not be possible. So, yeah, it's there's just, I mean, once until like Zeb Hogan jumped into the river with them with National Geographic and their film crews, they're just, yeah, they're just, this is grand. This was like 15 years ago or 12 years ago or something, but there just wasn't a lot known about them and, and we're still missing these pieces. But researchers are hopeful that there's, they're, they are still migrating and um, that they can locate the spawning grounds. They can work on really protecting certain regions of the Mekong to help the species stay alive. Mm-hmm. 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 interesting things I think about uh, catfish, you know, bottom dwellers or, or, or where they are in the river systems tend to be solitary, right? I mean, I wouldn't, they're not schooling and maybe no, the little ones. Right. Yeah, no, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely solitary. Of course, um, during spawning is when you would maybe, maybe find a higher cluster of them. But unfortunately, because the Kong giant catfish is so critically endangered, yeah, there's just not large numbers of them anywhere, even during spawning. So, and I know this might be ahead of repro, but so how would they, again, find it fascinating. I didn't, I didn't have time to go down this rabbit hole, but how would like a male and female find each other in this large ecosystem, murky, all of that stuff? Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder the same thing too, Chris. I, I would imagine pheromones are involved and whether or not the uh, whiskers or the barbells are involved as far as to be able to taste different pheromones or things like that. But what I was fascinated to learn is catfish in general typically produce lots of different sounds and they have pretty well-developed auditory reception to understand different uh, sounds, pitches, velocities. They can understand where a sound originates from. They can determine the distance from the sound uh, and where it originated from. And in some of the ways that catfish communicate with each other is uh, either through drumming sounds or stridulation sounds. So they they're making some noise. So that might help male and females meet, but there's probably visual signals as well. So there's definitely auditory, but I would, I would speculate too uh, that there's uh, pheromonal, some kind of chemical communication going on uh, to help them during breeding season. And also to help them migrate, like I, with any migratory species we've covered, whether it's a bird or a land animal, how do they know which way to go? And a lot of, some of it's instinctual, but are they going off of chemi chemical signals or, yeah, it's just so, fa I mean, it's one of these podcasts where I feel like I'm left with more questions than answers, uh, which is another, another vote of why we need to make sure and keep the Mekong giant around so we can learn how male and female Mekong giant catfish meet up so researchers know where to protect them and how to better protect them 
and to help save them and other fish in the river systems. It's interesting you say that, Angie. I, I you know, trying to think of how these animals, aquatic animals, meet and mate. That was something uh, now Dr. Jonathan Cowart, when I talked to him way back when about manatees, and I was sitting on his research project back in Florida. And that was one thing he wanted to find out. And we figured it's too much money, too hard to figure out. But how do manatees find each other to mate? So hormones in the water system, who knows? I, I just find it, it just fascinates me how they do it, especially big fish like this. I mean, these animals are superheroes. I can't even find John in my own house. I'd be like, I hear you, but like, where are you? Or he's usually always in the bathroom. Spoiler yeah. alert. Yeah. His phone. <laughs> but, uh, but he, I mean, but just, yeah, exactly. Like how in this, in this murky water system, there's not a lot of these mm-hmm. giant catfish left. How are they able to know where to go to spawn and how it's just, it's so incredible. All of it's just so incredible. And, and honestly, Chris, to me, one of the really sad things is for the Mekong giant catfish, we don't know a ton about uh, their reproduction. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we do know, generally speaking, with Mekong giant catfish is they they won't breed until they're at least around six years of age. And so they have to be large. Um, they need to be anywhere from 50 to 70 uh, kilograms or 110 to 150 pounds. And so some of the research was saying six years, but other researchers saying it's more like 10 or 15 years, depending on how they grow, right? Uh, to be that big in order to reproduce. And when it is time for them to reproduce, they do head north upstream to spawn in Thailand, in northern Thailand, typically from late April to mid-May. And once again, just to reiterate, the spawning grounds of the Mekong giant catfish are really poorly known and poorly understood, uh, which is going to be a really important development in order to help save the waters that they're spawning in and take better care of them. Mm-hmm. But what we do know from rearing them under human uh, human care is that um, a Mekong giant catfish, they have, their egg is called an adhesive egg type. It's yellow in color with a diameter of 1.7 millimeters. Uh, and we don't know much, like I said, about the Mekong giant catfish. Fun fact, though, about catfish in general, Chris, you'll appreciate mm-hmm. this is catfish dads are good dads and they work hard for their developing uh, larvae. And so in other species of catfish, and so once uh, male and female catfish mate, which if for fish with an external fertilizations means both male and female release their gametes, their sperm and their mm-hmm. eggs at the same time, it typically takes about a week for the eggs to mature. Uh, but during this week, the dads will guard the eggs and they make sure that they're safe. So I don't, don't know eat, if this... And they don't, they don't nibble on a few. I'm trying to remember what species that was. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> it was a few back, but... Some do, but no, I think in general, catfish dads are very good and they don't, they don't, they don't, and they don't sample their offspring at all. Uh, but I don't know if this behavior is uh, seen in the Mekong giant catfish. I'm not sure if that behavior is is seen because uh, researchers, once again, just have not studied them that much in the wild because, well, there's not very many of them left and they live in this huge, huge river system. There was one study that I found where a Mekong giant catfish female, uh, she laid about a half a million to two million eggs. Hmm. So it's crazy. Well, yeah. 
you would hope they would all of a sudden populate, but they don't. They just no, don't. not even close, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Be- uh, I mean, when the larvae are born, uh, the larvae of catfish are born, they're known as kittens or fries. And that's when they they do actually uh, participate in some cannibalism mm-hmm, to help mm-hmm. get themselves going. Uh, but then, of course, predators and just all of the things uh, that uh, will gobble up, um, a, you know, a new little fish fry. So it's, yeah, it's tough out there. And yeah. I, I couldn't find any statistic of, of those a half a million to two million eggs that are laid by a female. Does one make it? Does yeah. Do two? And it, yeah, one year, you know, that's the thing. It's one, it's not, they, they don't need to just make it to one year or two year or three year. They need to make it to year six to 15 mm-hmm. before they can reproduce themselves. So it's, that's a, that's a, up, that's an upward, that's an uphill battle. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, that, you know, we open up, the, the, these are critically endangered. A few hundred left. We don't know. They're only basing it on how many have been caught. So the numbers have gone way, way down. So there may be a few hundred. There may be 10. Uh, we don't know. We just don't know. But obviously overfishing, the damming of the Mekong tributaries, uh, spawn, these spawning grounds being destroyed, all has taken a huge toll on them. But like Angie said, to give you some hope, it, there is a focus on it. You, it's now illegal in Thailand, Laos, Cambodia to harvest any Mekong giant catfish, uh, they're still caught and sold in Vietnam. So Vietnam needs some pressure there. And they have started to breed them artificially with mixed success, It's which is interesting. You would think, yeah, oh, we can make a bunch. under yeah. human care. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they have been able to do some restocking. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Chris, um, in Thailand, the fisheries department has instituted a breeding program to help restock. Uh, Mekong giant catfish. But there's a couple constraints of this. It's not as easy as it is in mm-hmm. other species uh, like salmon or something that we, we might we might do here in the U.S. is, well, number one, they, they take so long to mature. They grow fast and they get big, but in the same instance, they don't actually mature for a long time. So right now, at present, in order to um, in order to make this program work, they actually have to harvest a wild spawning catfish and then bring them into captivity, induce them to spawn through some hormonal manipulation, and and then rear the young from there. So hmm. because they're catching these wild, uh, wild spawners, you're taking some out of the river to do that. Now the thought is you're putting a whole bunch more back in, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but it's 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 been it's been a tough go at it. It hasn't been. It's not uh, the numbers have not rebounded. I guess the, the way that they thought they would, and they've been doing this from like since the early 2000s. Yeah. It's definitely a piece of the puzzle to to rear them in captivity and then release them, but it's it's not going to be the, the silver bullet. They they yeah. need you know they definitely need to stop any illegal poaching. Um, and they also need to obviously protect their waterways, learn more about their natural history uh, mm-hmm. as far as where their spawning areas are and how do we make sure we're not damming up those or dredging that area. Mm-hmm. Dredging's uh, common in, in some of these regions as well. And, of course, urbanization and pollution. So it's hopeful that there's a lot of initiatives internationally uh, many of the, you know, many countries working get together, like you said, Thailand, Laos, and Cambodia, uh, to stop fishing them. But in the same instance, uh, it's yeah, we've got to keep our eyes on them because, yeah. man, I mean, 
I don't want to see another megafish yeah, go extinct like in our fish. lifetime, right? Yeah, no, 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 we don't, we don't, we don't. How you can help, what you can do for your freshwater fish uh, wherever you live, or if you're living, listening to this and you live on the Mekong uh, River or near there, things that you can do. You know, conserve water. It, it's something, it's funny. I was thinking about this the other day and I just, you know, when I shave or I brush my teeth, I turn the faucet off. I used to just let it run. I developed a habit years ago when we started talking about it with the podcast. It's just something that it clicked with me. I'm like, wow, it's a habit. It's a habit to turn it off, not let it run. When I wash dishes, you know, if I'm hand washing them, I'll put, you know, because I didn't have a dishwasher. The dishwasher wasn't working or whatever, you know, soak them and then rinse and turn off. I didn't just leave it running like I did way back in the day. So simple things you can do shorten your showers a little bit you know i know it's nice with hot water and things on you but if you're like oh yeah i'm gonna take a little bit shorter shower today if we all do it you know the tens of thousands listening to this or the the millions of people we get that message out we save a lot of uh, our fresh water other things i'm doing my part for that i'm definitely doing my part yeah (laughs) skipping showers it's like oh yeah yeah yeah, definitely yeah 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 but Mm. you know low flow shower heads uh you can do uh yeah low flow toilets that only run your dishwasher or washing machines when they're full Uh, this is all from national geographic they they had a good uh 10 tips Uh, eat a bit less meat you know i was just thinking about this drive-in today you know, the, the, the 16 ounce steak or 12 ounce steak, I, I don't, I get tiny cuts now when I eat meat, um, you know, or skip, have a vegetarian day, meatless Mondays, uh, buy less stuff. I know Angie and I have talked about that, this fast fashion, it takes a lot of water to make clothes. So, or make things, you know, recycle obviously. And you know, just know where your water comes from. If you know, okay, my water comes from this river or that lake, you'll start caring about it more and you'll start paying attention to it more. And, you know, if we get a little bit political and say, Hey, you know, to our politicians, protect this water source. This is where my water comes from. This is what my children are drinking. You know, this is what my animals are drinking. So anyways, just tips that you can do. Angie, the organization of the week, I know you just kind of wanted to talk more about uh, Dr. Hogan, right? Yes, Chris. I really enjoyed my interview with Seb Hogan. Uh, Just incredible. Incredible researcher and hearing all the stories uh, about the TV series Monster Fish on National Geographic was incredible. But learning about his work to conserve these mega species, uh, just just such a hero. And then putting all those stories and that huge conservation message together in his new book called Chasing Giants in Search of the World's Largest Freshwater Fish. It's incredible. It's an interesting read. I, I told him I'm getting it for all the fishermen in my family because they'll definitely love it. But then also conservation conservationists will love it. Something that I always like to mention to people is a lot of times your fishermen and your hunters are some of the best conservationists out there. And of course, with Zeb Hogan and all of his uh, work and then the TV shows, they do catch and release, of course. And because of him, the Mekong giant catfish and some of these other me- mega catfish, or the stingray, as Chris mentioned, he put them on the map. He made people be interested. Uh, my kids love the show, uh, talking about it. So they they were they they super geeked out when I told them that I was interviewing uh, mm-hmm. the host. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's a that's a first important step, right? Make make mm-hmm. these mega fish 
uh, this region, uh, the Mekong River in Southeast China, like common knowledge, the way that the Amazon is um, or the Mississippi River, uh, it needs it needs to be known what an important, uh, diverse, beautiful and incredible part of the world this is. And it's worth saving these mega fish. And then, of course, all the diversity that comes when you save a flagship species. So check out his book. And then as far as conservation efforts go, uh, because of his work, I have to give a huge shout out to National Geographic and also the World Wildlife Fund. Uh, they work together uh, through a program called Living Mekong Program that works in that region to help uh, reduce habitat loss and habitat destruction to help save uh, the, the species of fish that inhabit that river. So, yeah. And then, of course, check out the interview that's going to be yep. dropping in a couple of days. Right, Chris? Yep. 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 We're going to do it. Uh, big beasts and big fish. And I think we're going to have to pick a big species after that week of uh, big interviews. We'll come back at you with something big and then maybe we'll go look at something tiny. We'll see. But uh, no, it's, it is a fun species. I mean, there's so much to learn. The, it, we're going to have to cover another catfish. I mean, one in 20 vertebrates are catfish there you go did not know that <laughs> but well, some amazing I, facts yeah chris what a cool creature to talk about this week and get excited about um and i hope you know i hope you share this podcast with your friends and family and, and yeah get talking about catfish because a lot of us most people have interacted with them at some point in time and uh there's a lot of fun facts that uh, you need to share with your friends and family mm -hmm. and uh, and check out some of those Nat Geo uh, YouTube video clips, too, about the Mekong giant catfish so you can really get a visual on this beautiful and critically endangered creature that needs our help. Amazing, Angie. Yeah, take care, everybody, and, and look for those interviews. And we'll be back with a, another species here very soon. Thank you. Stay curious.